Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi, this is Billy Tarasio with the Modern Divorce Podcast, joined today by Christopher Torrenzano, one of our modern law attorneys. And today we're going to talk on, about collaborative law, the nitty gritty, the costs, the differences between collaborative law and litigation, and who might be a good candidate and who's not. Christopher, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah. Full week ahead. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So, Christopher, you are a trained collaborative attorney here at Modern Law. Mm-hmm. This is so, correct. And collaborative law is something that not a lot of people know about, but once they do know about it, they really, really like the concept. Um, but it's a little like uh, like one of those wispy things in the air that you can't quite put your hand on. And so today I really want to talk about like what happens in these meetings and who are all of these players and what are all of the roles of the team? So. What can you tell me high level first off about collaborative law? Well, I think one of the things you just touched upon is a really important point, which is that it's completely under the radar right now. So it's been around for decades and people have gone through it, but it's just not what people hear about. And I think a lot of that's because I think most people's understanding of divorce comes from movies and television. So and collaborative law is never in those movies or in those shows. So, yeah, I think first and foremost, I think it's, it's really exciting to just be getting the word out there and having people be introduced to the concept because it is just such a healthy process for, for actually going through divorce. Um, high level, though, it's essentially a way to keep the reins in the hands of the parties. So if you're going through the divorce and you want to maintain some semblance of control over how the process is going to go, and you're looking to uh, kind of get through this in a way that allows you to address every facet of what's actually involved in divorce, collaborative law is kind of the direction you want to go in. And that's kind of the high level mindset in terms of why you want to go in that, that path. Absolutely. I was thinking about um, the recent movie, A Marriage Story. Did you ever see mm-hmm. that? I did. Okay. So in this movie, it, it was so, it was almost painful for me as a divorce attorney to watch because it was so spot on. And what happens is you've got this couple and they're going through a divorce and their marriage is breaking up and they still very much care for each other. And there's a lot of respect and they want to figure out a way to work together. And then as the legal process takes hold and as they both get their attorneys, it completely unravels. And it's not anybody's fault. It's really the system. The system of divorce is a adversarial system where each person has to discover what they can find and then advocate positions. Um, And it kind of lends itself to, it definitely lends itself to conflict. And I think that's, that's it, right? Is I think people approach it and they start to put themselves in a conflict mindset. So everything that they're considering, they start filtering through that lens and it's not so much, you know, how do we approach this issue in a manner that's going to get it resolved? It's okay. Here's the issue. What's my position now? How do I start to support it right off the bat? And how do I leverage this system to get exactly what I want, regardless of what's happening on the other side? 
which just doesn't tend to work as effectively as you'd like it to work oftentimes. And it has to be that way. If you're presenting evidence and you're asking a judge to decide, you Mm -hmm. really, I would not be doing my job if I went in and I said, here's all the creative ways I think this could be solved, judge. Like that is not my job if I'm in court. Um, But in collaborative law, it is. That's the thing. If you provide a judge with a middle ground perspective, it's not, you know, you'd hope that it shows your degree of reasonableness and that they'd want to side with you. But really what it does is it it just shrinks the spectrum so that now when they do make the decision between the two different perspectives, you've just pushed yours towards the middle, which means you end up a little bit further right than you anticipated in the beginning. Right. And I yeah. think what so you So this is about, really yeah. critical. Yeah. So like before we go any further, like I just yeah. want to clarify what we're talking about. When yeah. we go into court as divorce attorneys, our job is to make your spouse look as bad as possible and make you look as good as possible. There's no mm-hmm. other way around it. There's no other world in which we could represent you well and competently except for by doing that. Right. And I mean, which makes complete sense when you think about the logistics of the system in terms of the, the, the objective third party, this judge who's supposed to be making the decision. It's not as if you're their only case and they get to give you due care and consideration and take, you know, a week and a half to just focus on what you have going on in your lives. Things need to be packaged in such a tight, clean and targeted fashion that there's really no room for you to be like, hey, let's here's some nuance and some consideration. Things need to be delivered bite-sized and on your side. Absolutely. Otherwise you'll find yourself not getting what you want out of the process, which, yeah. yeah, Which obviously is not great for families. So collaborative law is different. You are not going in front of a judge. You are not going through discovery. Mm -hmm. You are engaging in a process where everybody decides we're not doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And that may be your only agreement. Yeah, that's certainly to start. Yeah, that's and that's as long as you have that one agreement, collaborative law couldn't work for you. And that's a great way to put it because a lot of people think, no, we disagree, we're contentious, we're not on the same side on a lot of these issues. Thus, how can we possibly do anything considered collaborative? But to your point, going into collaborative law doesn't mean you're prepared right off the bat to come to a compromise on every issue because you know where both of you are going to fall. It's We just both agree that in trying to resolve all our differing opinions, this is the process. We want we want to come at it in a manner that says we're going to be in control, we're going to make the decisions, um, and we're not going to try and, and I think drag things out or try and attack one another. That's just not how we're going to approach solving the problems. It's the approach. Absolutely. Right. So right off the bat, okay, that sounds superior to everyone. (laughs) Everybody should like this idea. Sounds wonderful, yeah. So how does it work in practice? In practice, I mean, uh, I'll talk about it just logistically first so people can get an understanding kind of what it looks like to be on the train with the tracks ahead of you. Um, In practice, you come together and you are committing. That's the first thing. You have a collaborative commitment agreement. First thing you have to do is commit to the process. Everybody's on the same page and everybody's aware of what's at stake. So to actually enter collaborative law, each, uh, each party still needs uh, an attorney to align with their interests. You need that regard if you're going to go through the process. Then there are some additional neutrals that can also participate. So a lot of times there's a communication coach, which is someone who helps simply facilitate the conversation and ensure that it's the healthiest conversation possible, especially when dealing with very 
difficult uh, conversations. So you have somebody who's literally just managing and making sure that everything that is happening is heading in the right direction. And then you can also have people like a financial neutral because inevitably there's going to be property that needs to be distributed. So you want somebody in the room to say, let's get everybody on the same page. Because a lot of times in divorces, one party has a much firmer understanding mm-hmm. of the finances mm-hmm. and the other party feels at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. They feel like they have to play catch up and they're starting to play catch up at the same time that you're dissolved or, or dividing the property, which has right. to be very overwhelming. But through this lens, you have a financial neutral who's going to help gather everything that needs to be gathered, break it all down so everybody can have the same understanding, and then help walk you through with the communication coach how things should be divided in service to your interests. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So the first meeting is you just meeting your attorneys and all the professionals who are going to participate. And then at that meeting, you're, it should take three to five meetings to actually wrap up your entire divorce or dissolution. Um, and other issues can be actually filtered through the collaborative process, but I'm just going to focus on divorce for the sake of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but over two to three months, you literally just book out all of your meetings with your professional collaborative team. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, okay, what are the issues that need to be addressed? And in what order do we want to address them? Is there anything urgent that we have to address in the first meeting? If not, when do we want to book it out for? And you'll look out in your calendar and say, okay, so we'll meet with the financial professional this day. We'll do a full team meeting this day. We'll meet with the communication coach to talk about parenting plans this day. And we'll meet again as the full team. And you're just chipping away at each of the issues, getting up to speed on on what's going on so you can make an informed decision. That was a lot. So please let me clarify wherever I can. Well, it was a lot. And um, I think collaborative law is is really like a very supported mediation process. You know, people people do understand mediation. They like the idea of mediating and coming to agreements. But when you get stuck, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And then your only alternative is really, I'll see you in court. But in in collaborative law, if you're stuck on, you know, let's say a disagreement on what something is worth, you have a process to figure out what it's worth. You have a process to come to an agreement to figure out what it's worth. Mm -hmm. Or if you've got a parenting plan issue, um, how does the communications coach help come up with a parenting plan? So the communication coach, it it depends. So the the communication coach... uh sometimes will also be an attorney. Sometimes they'll have other specialties under their belt. Like I'm working on one matter right now where uh, the communication coach is also a child specialist. Mm. So they don't, uh, the parties didn't hire the communication coach to be a child specialist, but she has that underlying expertise. So she can be agile and kind of support in that space. Mm -hmm. They'll sit down and also because she's an attorney, she can also draft the first version of the parenting plan, oh, which wow. helps expedite the process tremendously. So one yeah. other like huge difference between litigation and collaborative law is that when you do, when you commit to collaborative law, it's a flat fee. Yes. You're not getting billed by the hour. You're not getting billed by the meeting. You're not getting billed to talk on the phone or update your attorney on what's happened. That is a massive difference between litigation and collaborative law. And it's, it's mainly, it's for the attorneys in particular. So mm-hmm. 
there can still be hourly rates with respect to with respect to additional professionals that mm-hmm. you have assigned. Okay. Um, but then you can be very selective about their involvement. So know exactly when they actually need to be included and where. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the attorneys, you're basically, you have them on call, which is, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, it's great from the attorney perspective too, because it allows me to do as much work as I'd like without having to worry about, um, you know, the bill being run up. Right. There's a cap on it. So it gives you that kind of freedom and liberty. It does. But also looking at the, just looking at hard cost. I mean, I have two matters right now that one is in the litigation route and one is the collaborative route and they're comparable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, except that the collaborative route they paid what they paid between both parties is what one side has paid on the litigation route mm-hmm. yeah and, and let's yeah. be specific so collaborative law can cost depending on what what the issues are i think anywhere between eight thousand dollars for simple mm-hmm. collaborative law up to fifteen thousand dollars for a very mm-hmm. complex collaborative law and that's more than our average client spend for a simple divorce, but it's right. way less than complex litigation. Right. To me, it seems like the best candidates for collaborative law are those mm-hmm. with complex issues or a lot of disagreement, um, but an agreement that litigation is not best to solve their problems. Best. Yes, I think that's that's perfectly well put. In terms of the ideal candidate, it appears for the collaborative process is probably slightly longer marriages mm-hmm. where more has been established between the two parties, um, more assets across different buckets. Mm-hmm. So you've got retirement, investment, maybe a business in there, especially if there's a business in there. Mm-hmm. If you have a business, I almost think by default you should you should first have to actively X out collaborative before considering considering litigation. I mean, like that I should be, you know, because it's just the degree of complexity and how much the court can get dragged in and third party experts can get brought into that process and how much you can have spending on motions and valuations. It's just a, it's a cleaner process to, to run a business through collaborative when you're trying to divide up the assets, especially when one party knows way more about that business than the other. Yeah. You're going to save so much money not litigating complex cases. <laughs> money and, and and the you know the other aspect is this kind of the psychological element of it all. Yeah. Being remaining in control, knowing what you kind of running the ship and knowing what you can and can't do and feeling like things aren't at a hand, especially when you're trying to run a business at the same time. Right. Um yeah, I can't I can't stress how I think important it is to probably use collaborative especially when you have a business. Right. Yeah. The other the other thing is like, let's say your your kids have complex needs or there's um, even addiction issues or, or complex personality issues. The court doesn't have the ability to really understand that without getting experts involved like TIs or, um, you know, uh, comprehensive family assessments or, you know, if you got an alienation case, like any of those types of very complicated cases where you need experts, like you would be, it would definitely be in your best interest to look at collaborative law first. Absolutely. And, and, and it can almost seem, uh, it doesn't seem all that intuitive mm-hmm. every single time because right. it's, a lot of the things that give rise to conflict are also the things that would make the collaborative process just a more effective and efficient medium through which to actually resolve that conflict. Yeah. 
Um, but that, you know, it's like anything else. If, you know, there's books like by like Daniel Kahneman or uh, Dan Ariely, who are these economists who essentially show behaviorally how unintuitive most things end up actually being, how rational we all can collectively be. Right. And trying trying to resolve that is difficult, but it's worthwhile to 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 address that when when approaching this process. Well, so can you be specific for me? How is intense conflict resolved within the collaborative process? So a lot of it's about setting ground rules and kind of airing things out. So mm-hmm. if it, it's, it's really it's really about approaching things proactively as opposed to reactively. So everything that you anticipate being a major conflict, it's about bringing that up and saying, I'm concerned about this becoming an issue, and then establishing a process for how to effectively resolve those types of issues. So I'm afraid ah. that a party is going to be spending money like this, or I'm afraid that the other party is going to be telling the kids about this. And the key there is to get both people to agree in that moment that this is how we're going to solve that problem throughout the process. And if anything comes up that is tangential to or touching upon that issue, this is how we're going to raise it and address it. So it's really just about trying to flip things from reactive to proactive. And that's what kind of the collective professional team is there to do, is to pull those issues to the surface in the beginning Mm-hmm. and start to build protocols right off the bat on how to address them. That is fantastic. Yeah. So you know your spouse and you usually know what you should be worried about. You know, I'm worried mm-hmm. that he's going to be bad mouthing me to the kids or I'm worried that she's going to be um, spending money that we don't have. And by being able to say, before we do anything else, let's get all of those things out here and let's figure out a way that we can live with something, um, that's just phenomenal. But what happens when it doesn't work? What happens when that meeting is done and the thing that you thought was gonna happen happens? I mean, the thing about signing up for uh, collaborative is that there's a lot at stake Mm -hmm. if you don't follow the process. So. While there is a tremendous amount of support in trying to help bring those concerns to light and proactively identify how to address them when they are when they become issues, mm-hmm. if let's say we're concerned that the, the the person that I'm representing is going to spend community property in a way that they're not supposed to be spending it, and they start to do so, at that point I essentially need to let them know that if they don't stop doing that, I may have to actually withdraw myself because mm-hmm. we're now no longer in compliance with the collaborative agreement we signed Ooh. at the beginning. But the beauty of this is, right? It's tough because, like, you don't when a party signs it, as much as you don't want to be held to something, you know that the 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 restrictions being placed upon you are also being placed upon the other party. So yes. this level playing field right off the bat. Yeah. And a lot of it's, I mean, there's, there's time for corrective measures. If someone starts spending money or saying things to the kids that they're not supposed to be doing, if we can bring them back around to get them to stop doing that, fantastic. We can continue with the process. That's fantastic. Then, you know, so if they don't, if, if my spouse doesn't follow the rules and doesn't follow the agreement, then he can get kicked out of the process and the fee that he paid is gone. I mean, it, essentially, the, 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 the professionals withdraw are not allowed to be, they're not allowed to be used uh, in the actual litigation of the same matter, right? So if you enter the collaborative process and you've got two attorneys, let's say you also have a financial neutral, and then one party starts violating the rules of the collaborative process, then there's the, you're essentially at risk of 
the attorney withdrawing and then the, the, the process breaking down and things having to pivot to litigation, which is a high, I mean, I've, I've yet to see it and I've seen, and, and from all the stories I've heard from other collaborative attorneys, mm-hmm. it happens rarely where somebody actually breaks the rules to the point. Because essentially what's happening at that point is they're going to go, okay, this issue cannot be resolved through the collaborative process. It's going to continue to break down. What have we resolved to date? Let's package that into a solution mm. and let's put this aside. And that's also about proactively ironing out the issues. Mm-hmm. So if you know that that there's a, if you know that there's some wins that you can get under your belt, you're going to want to shoot for those first. So you, mm-hmm. so that no matter what, the process ends up being productive. And then if it breaks down because one party is not complying with the agreement and it does break down, then you can go to court to resolve those issues. That, that's fantastic. I just want to. Um, make a break that down in one other way. So if I've got a business and I've got kids and I've got bank accounts and I've got retirement accounts, we can, through the collaborative process, figure out everything we need to about the kids, everything we need to about retirement, everything we need to about spousal maintenance and leave the business if we can't get our head around one hairy issue. We've still accomplished so much within that collaborative process. Oh, tremendous, yeah. And and that can happen. Again, it's rare that someone ends up falling actually out and trying to push things to litigation on Mm -hmm. one or two issues, it does happen. Mm -hmm. But yes, you can can still have it kind of piecemealed in the end, so you still walk away with some wins and and most things resolved. Mm Well, Christopher, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think that this is so fantastic. Have I met anything else we want to cover today? No, I think we've touched upon. I mean, I think it's just worthwhile to note when you're going, when you're approaching divorce or dissolution, it's probably the first time in a long time that you're going to do such a full audit of your entire life and how you want things to progress moving forward. And to do that in the middle of litigation is notably difficult to do it with a team of professionals who are on your side and with a spouse who's approaching it collaboratively it's just a much it's much more effective and and efficient and just healthier way to process so i i think i just want to leave off on that note I, i i agree with you i think it's fantastic i hope we get more people that want to do collaborative law and so i want to continue this conversation i want to do more podcast episodes on collaborative law but for now we'll end it here thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it It was good talking to you great talking to you too thank you thanks so much for listening to the modern divorce podcast remember anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship even if you called in and we spoke to you you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of modern law However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.